Romans chapter 12, and we're reading from verses 9 to 13, and that's page 1139 in the Church Bibles. That's Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. It's very good to have the opportunity to share God's word with you again today and to be here in this church. I also thank God for the interest, for the prayers for living hope. One of the phrases in the reading that we just shared together says this, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. We'll pick that up again in just a few moments, but I guess for me, uh, it is an enormous privilege to be in a number of settings where God is working, a number of different situations, and that certainly stimulates and keeps you close to God because some of those situations can be quite dangerous. Some of them can be incredibly exciting as you see people come to Christ, perhaps in numbers that one wouldn't necessarily see in some parts of this country. I'm just back, in fact, from Ecuador and Colombia, and I know uh, your vicar, Phil, is not long back from Brazil. So we were out in South America, and in Colombia, we worked with a church which was one of a number of churches that is particularly committed to prison ministry. Now, in Medellin is a most notorious prison, which uh, a number of the churches visit and go to share the gospel and the love of Christ with people who have had an incredibly uh, bad past. And uh, it was quite fascinating to have to go through all the procedures to get into the prison uh, with uh, fingerprints and all manner of scrutiny so that you could go and visit the prisoners. But one of the occasions, they said, we would like you to meet some leaders, some Christian leaders. Now, I've met Christian leaders in many, many different settings, but it was a very different setting to go into Medellin, into a jail, to meet people who were Christian leaders. These, in fact, were a number of young men who had truly been born again and had found the Lord Jesus as their saviour, And they were gathered together, they'd been discipled, and in fact they had uh, taken on a role of going into the wider prison. I don't know the exact population, but it would be several hundred. And uh, they were going out trying to encourage those who just found Christ, as well as bringing people to Christ. So that was a, a most different setting to meet people, but... Although you were in the prison and you were well aware of the environment and what you were heading into, here were young men who had truly found Christ out of the most uh, very painful and difficult circumstances. The next day we were invited to go back to the prison and this time it was to take a service. 
Now, uh, we were meant to go into the chapel. You may know that Medellin was uh, the place where Pablo Escobar had lived and uh, his cartel had created uh, enormous violence, death, destruction, uh, all sorts of terrible things. And some of the prisoners in there would indeed have been caught up with all of that. But apparently, on the day that we arrived, one of them had escaped. Now, I've got no idea how one would manage to escape. It was hard enough to go in and get out as a visitor. But uh, anyway, someone apparently had managed to escape. And therefore, they said that the chapel, which was a fairly secure area, uh, was not available for the service. And therefore, we were instructed to go into an open courtyard. I didn't see too much security. I do believe that some of these prisons, probably this one, is managed to a large degree by the prisoners once you go inside the gate. But anyway, we were in this wide open area and uh, I could see as I walked in that there were perhaps two, three hundred men who were sitting at uh, some sort of bench thing having, I guess, a bit of lunch. I didn't look too closely to see what they were eating. But uh, as we found ourselves taken into this area, they put out a few stools and people began to come and sit so that they could hear the word of God. It was a most bizarre situation because you were aware of all these prisoners on one side as well as a growing number who came and sat in front of us in order that we could share God's word. But it was very encouraging in the midst of that to be able to share the good news of Jesus and to see five or six of these prisoners indicate that they truly wanted to discover and know Jesus for themselves. The man who'd been driving us around in Medellin, we discovered, in fact, had been a bodyguard of Pablo Escobar. And uh, he had been involved in... uh, horrific crimes, but he had been caught and he had gone into the same prison that he was taking us into now. He'd served time and he had found Christ. One of the things that is always important for us to uh, reflect on and to know is that there is no one beyond hope, that uh, whoever you know, whatever situations people have, if they truly repent, they are able to find Christ and to find salvation. And this man, I'm just so grateful to God that the man sitting beside me was not the man who had been in the past. Uh, It was just a, a bizarre opportunity to get to know someone who now was gentle, who now spoke very calmly, and yet had been under the instructions of the drug warlord uh, doing these terrible things. So I was very happy to get out of the jail, and I was very happy in some ways to get out of Colombia. But in Ecuador, we found ourselves again visiting a group of churches not too far from Guayaquil, an area called Malegro. And in that area, there were six or seven churches, and we were able to meet six out of those churches and to have some time with the leaders and with some of the people. And then we had a a conference where we were able to share with the leaders things that were pertinent to leading a church in their situation. And 
they were very kind about the teaching, but for me, the phenomenal thing that day was a time of prayer where these pastors began to call on God and ask God for his glory. We've been sharing about the book of Haggai, which is all about the glory of God coming to the house of God. And it was so remarkable uh, as these men began to pray and to discover that some of them didn't really know each other. That, uh, you know, when you go into a situation and you see lots of people sitting in front of you, it's very easy to assume that they all know each other very well. But often that isn't the case. And so they were together and there was such an incredible spirit of prayer, which is one of the things that Paul comments on in this passage that we're now going to look at in Romans 12. When we look at the passage that's been read to us, uh, it is really very simple. It, it, it is a list of bullet points, as it were. It, it, it's comments on Christian behavior and how we should respond uh, to those around us, those particularly in need. And as I have said, I'm particularly struck by verse 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Now, we know that when we first come to Christ, there is often an excitement, there is a joy, there is just something uh, that is deeply touching us, that, that we've been loved by God, and that this God who is holy is willing to forgive our sin and to wipe the slate clean and to give us a brand new start and to put us on a road to heaven that we have eternal life now and that we will enter that life and be with Jesus forever when we die. And we get very excited about that, or at least we should be. We should be very happy about the fact that we are now going to be with Jesus forever. But we all know that the realities of life is that sometimes that fervor, that love, that ardor, that passion, uh, it can be affected. Circumstances come and go, challenges come and go, different situations come and go, and we can find that uh, sometimes that joy gets a bit diluted. It starts to go a bit cold. But Paul is saying here, make sure, endeavor, do what you can to keep that fervor and passion for Christ growing and glowing. Because out of that can come so many good things, the sort of things that he's pointing out in these verses. No passion, no fervor, no love for Christ, and hospitality and giving generously and all those things will be very hard. And in fact, some people will even be tempted to do those sort of things, thinking that God might love them more and even save them. But that's the wrong way round. We do things out of the knowledge we are saved. We do what God is calling us to do out of a heart of gratitude. We're not trying to do good things in order to appease God. Christ has appeased a holy God. Christ has laid down his life. And because of who Jesus is and what he's done, we have found ourselves in possession of life, in possession of Christ, and out of a sense, indeed, yes, of gratitude, we want to do the things that please him. But how do we keep that fire alive? How do we keep it going? Well, I believe Paul gives us some clues in the early verses that he's written 
in Romans chapter 12. He says, present your body as a living sacrifice. If we are doing that, we will certainly find that our love for Jesus will be kept alive and kept strong. That we want our eyes to see for him. We want our ears to hear for him. We want our mouth to speak for him. We want our hands to hold for him, our feet to walk for him, surrendering our body as a living sacrifice day by day, saying, Lord, here I am. Everything that I have, everything that I own, all that I am, I'm giving to you. And if we're doing that, we will find that uh, the love of Jesus continues to grow and develop within us. Of course, this fervor, this desire, this passion for Christ is, is obviously meaning that we focus upon him. The challenges and difficulties of life, and they are real, and some of the things that we face are incredibly hard. There are things that we have to handle that we do not understand, But what I believe this passage is encouraging us to do is to say, look beyond that. Look beyond your circumstances. You don't have to dismiss them as if they're not real. They are real, and pain is real, and suffering is real. And yet at the same time, we look beyond that. Just as we believe when David faced Goliath, David didn't just look up and see a great big giant there. He saw beyond the giant an almighty God who was far greater and far more powerful than Goliath could ever be. And this passage is helping us, challenging us, to look beyond what we're handling, what we're facing in our lives, and to give our bodies a living sacrifice for Jesus. And after all, the tremendous truth all the time is that Jesus has set the example. I don't know about you, but it's incredibly irritating to receive advice and correction and challenge from people who you think, but you're not doing it. You tell me what to do, but I don't see you doing it. We will never, ever be able to say that about the Lord Jesus. He was fervent in zeal. He was absolutely passionate about the kingdom of God. He was passionate about doing the will of his Father. And no one suffered more than him. And again, he faced the reality of Gethsemane. He faced the horror of what it was going to be to go to the cross. But he said, Father, not my will, your will be done. And in that, we are able to see a tremendous example to us. And Christ lives in us. That is the hope of glory. That is the gospel that we believe, that the living Christ is living in us. And that he is enabling us, not out of our own efforts and self, but out of the spirit that he gives us, he strengthens us that we might be able to live as he lived and to speak as he spoke. And therefore, when we look at these verses, we see, yes, we present ourselves as a living sacrifice, even as Jesus presented himself to the Father. And the other verses before the ones that were read talks about the fact that we have different gifts. We are not all the same. We have different talents and we have different personalities, but submitted to Christ, these can bless and strengthen others. And therefore, the reason we can love one another, the reason why we can be generous and care and practice hospitality and seek to forgive one another is because as a body of people, 
we are able to present to the community, to the world outside, something of who the Lord Jesus is. We don't have to be in competition. You don't have to desire someone else's gift. Discover your own gift and explore your own gift and use your own gift and you will find great fulfillment in that. You don't have to keep looking at others as it were that they've got a better deal than you. In God you've been given everything that you need and his purposes and plans for you are perfect. Discover them. Enter into them. Walk with them. And so we are told love must be sincere. We know how Jesus spoke so firmly to the Pharisees, their hypocrisy. He confronted in no uncertain terms. He didn't mince his words. He told them exactly what he thought. Love must be sincere, not platitudes. Again, in the book of James, we have that encouragement, don't we, we, that uh, we don't just say these nice things and do nothing practical which is why we have off the fence here today, who are seeking to do something practical to demonstrate, not just be filled and be warmed and do nothing, to sigh and put them in the direction where they can receive some help and some encouragement. And as a church, you back that. But yes, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. We cannot possibly have a heart of fervor for God. We cannot possibly have a genuine love for others if we are cantonancing sin in our, own, in our own lives, there has to be that willingness, that awareness, that desire, that where sin seeks to creep in, and it's attacking all of us. We're all subject to temptation. We're all subject to weaknesses. We're all facing challenges. But to say no, interesting that the word love is used in these verses and the word hate, tremendous contrast. In terms of our love for God, our love for God must be genuine. In terms of our love for others, it must be practical. It must make sense, not just be sentimental, fluffy, even a kind of romantic emptiness. And we need to have that genuine hatred, not of sinners, but of sin. That genuine sense that this is wrong and I'm not going to get into it any deeper. And so there is the the practical outworking, the hospitality, the opening up of our home. It's important, isn't it, as Christians, that we have the sense that God has given us things in order to be utilized for the kingdom. We ought to be responsible. We don't be reckless or careless. And yet at the same sense, we have a real desire to say, this is not me, this is ours. This belongs to the body of Christ. What I own... I don't just see as under me and no one else can have it, but a willingness to share. Some of you may have heard the story. It's a story that always touches me, that when I was in Uganda, I had just one Bible commentary left. They're fairly heavy, so I wasn't able to take loads of them on the plane. But I had one left, and I was thinking, who do I give this one uh, left to? And uh, I discovered in the conference there was a man called Augustine who had come across from Rwanda. And he was there and I found a moment to uh, speak to him in, in quietness, in privacy, and I handed him this commentary. Uh, it was a sizable commentary. It was a good uh, piece of theological work. It would really help. 
But what I loved about what he said, what I was so humbled about what he said, and remember as if it was yesterday, he took it in his hands and he said, Lord, I thank you for this gift for Rwanda. He didn't say, this is mine, nobody else is ever going to have it, no one else is going to borrow it. No, he, he saw it as a resource that would bless his nation. You and I have been given various resources, giftings, various opportunities. And to have the sense, no, this is not mine, but this is available for the kingdom of God will be a blessing. So lovely today to hear the announcement about the gift for the 80 people in the the hospital uh, not so far from here. And other things that you're doing, reaching out reaching out to the Yemen, reaching out to different places. These are indeed expressions of what Paul is writing about in these verses. But above all, again, it's important. What is the motivation? What is the heartthrob behind this desire to bless and to give? It has to be that we are loved by God. We love him because he first loved us and out of an appreciation of Jesus who gave everything. It was enough just to leave heaven to come to earth as we begin to think of the Christmas story but to come to earth knowing he would go to a cross and suffer and die. This is almost unbelievable but this is the love. Here is love not that we love God, that he loved us and gave his only son to be the propitiation, the answer for our sin. This is the word that I believe is the heart of the verses that we've read. God bless you.